Welcome to Bible Line, a ministry of Calvary Community Church. Our podcast is dedicated to the clear teaching of God's Word. We aim to help people find Jesus Christ and train believers through the study of the Bible. We would love to feature your questions on the show. You can email us at questions at BibleLineMinistries.org. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to calvaryoftampa.org forward slash donate. Catch new episodes every Thursday. We pray today's episode is a blessing to you. Our podcast has reached into other countries. This is something that I just, we, we did not plan for, but it, we have prayed about it. That the podcast would go far and wide and that a lot of people would be able to hear it and understand it. Well, amazingly, this past week, I got an email from somebody in Romania, specifically in a little city called Arad, and she had written a question that has been plaguing her for about a year. Um, it's caused panic attacks. She's afraid to just drop into hell. And her question, I thought, was so good. And so I, we, we did a lot of research because the time zone difference is about seven or eight hours. So it's not like I can just pick up the phone and call and we can both reach a, a time when it's convenient for the other. But uh, her email was very urgent. And so I wanted to make sure tonight that I, I asked this question to you and then that I show you what I believe the Bible answers very clearly about it. The question we're going to answer today is, if a person rejects the gospel enough times, do they become guilty of committing the unpardonable sin and therefore enter into an unforgivable state of being a reprobate? So I'm going to read that question again because it's a very good question. If a person rejects the gospel enough times, do they become guilty of committing the unpardonable sin and therefore enter into an unforgivable state of being a reprobate? So I think there's three parts to this answer. We need to look at the definition of the unpardonable sin. We need to look at the definition of what a reprobate is. And then we need to understand what it means to be savable. How do we know a person is able to be saved? I think if we understand those three things, we can understand the answer to this question. So take your Bible if you haven't already, but look in Matthew chapter 12 in verse 31 through 32. This is the account of the unpardonable sin or the blasphemy that shall not be forgiven. Um, and it's listed here in Matthew 12, 31 through 32, and it's also in Mark 3, 29 through 30. And Jesus is addressing a certain group of people, and it's very important that we recognize he's addressing Pharisees that are set out on proving him wrong. And this is the, the, what his statement in verse 31 and 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, uh, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So we need to understand what is it to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I think to better understand that, we need to see what the Holy Spirit's role is in the life of a lost person. Take your Bible. You can let Matthew go and go to John chapter 16. I think, and what I want to propose to you, that the Scripture teaches blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is rejecting Jesus Christ 
as a person's payment for their sin. It's not saying something rude to the Holy Spirit. It is saying to the Holy Spirit, I do not believe what you testify about Jesus Christ. Blasphemy is to call something out as false or to say it is a lie. And blasphemy can be from the smallest of things to the greatest of things. Anything that goes against God is ultimately sin. Anything that violates His law, falling short, we all understand that. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, I believe the Bible teaches, it is saying, a person saying, upon their death, I I have not believed. I have received this truth. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Everyone will be without excuse. So at some point, when a person dies, they die having that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in their life. And that means they cannot be forgiven for that. Ultimately, they have not believed on Jesus Christ. But let's look in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Jesus is speaking here. He's talking to his uh, disciples, and he's telling them about the comforter which will come into the world at a later time, specifically after Christ um, ascends, uh, after his resurrection. Look in verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will, and we should mark this, guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whoso, uh, whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall, uh, shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. So the Holy Spirit speaks in truth. He will guide specifically the apostles here, and I believe that extends down to us when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we see things that are received naturally of man and things that are spiritually received from the Spirit of God. We compare that with what the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, that a believer upon the moment of truth is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Other clear places in Scripture, the Holy Spirit has taken up a residence within every believer. When Paul says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And in Ephesians 4, it tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. As we walk in the flesh, the Spirit is still within us. We can grieve that Spirit. All those things point to a believer having the Holy Spirit upon the moment that they believe, but also the Holy Spirit's role. He's not going to speak of himself. He is a person. He does have an identity, but he is not talking about himself. Side note, you see a lot of Holy Spirit worship, don't you? When you see songs and you see places where they they call for the Holy Spirit to come down, friend, if you are a believer and you're here right now, the Holy Spirit does not need to come down any more than he already has in you. When you walked in the door, you brought him in. That's a good truth. But there's a lot of Holy Spirit worship. Specifically, this verse says he's not going to speak of himself. Bringing it back to the main point here, in verse 14, he shall glorify me, and that is Christ, for he shall receive of mine and will show it unto you. So I think a person who commits the unpardonable sin is a person who lives their life and dies without receiving Jesus Christ's payment for their sin, without believing. That is the unpardonable sin. If we were to say that someone could commit the unpardonable sin now, then we would also have to say that there is a point in a person's life where they can never be saved, even if they wanted to. And I do not believe that's what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible says he will draw all men. Now, a person can die in unbelief, and that's it. Their body will be done. Their soul will live on forever in a place of torment. So that's what it is to commit the unpardonable sin. But I also want to look at God's wrath upon those who do not believe. Go to John chapter 3, a couple pages over uh, to the left. And please, please, as you hear me, pray for my voice. Uh, John chapter 3, look in verse 36, page 1118 in the Schofield Bible. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Now we're going to stop right there to identify a truth that is said here in the Scripture. All those who believe have everlasting life. It says nothing about the condition of their life after they're saved. They cannot send themselves outside of this everlasting life. It says positionally, you believe, you have eternal life. That's the position. Okay. Look at the next statement here. And he that believeth not, so we have the other side of the coin, he that believeth not the Son, Jesus Christ, shall not see life. And we know it's not talking about life here on earth. It's talking about everlasting life because that's what was first mentioned in the verse. They don't have everlasting life. But what? The wrath of God, look up here, abideth on him. So as a unbeliever walks through life, the wrath of God is over them so that if they should die in that state of unbelief, it comes down on them. Look over to verse 17 in John 3. John 3, 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Note that word, condemn the world. He that believeth on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. So look back up here. Here's that unbeliever. Here's the wrath of God. As they make the one-time decision to believe on Jesus, they're passed from death unto life. As it says in verse 36, believeth on the Son, everlasting life. The wrath of God no longer is upon them. But the ones continue, he that believeth not is condemned already. This is the position that they're in. The wrath of God abiding upon them. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. It goes on to verse 19. That light is come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. They love their sin because their deeds were what? Evil. So man makes a choice. This is very important to answering this question. Man makes a choice. God in his sovereignty has decided that he will give man free will and man will be responsible for his decisions. That's what condemns us. We're condemned by our sin. Everyone who's ever been born in the history of the world was born into sin except for Adam and Eve. They inherited that or uh, they They were placed under that sin because of what they did in the garden. But everybody after that, you're a sinner. You're condemned by that. You have a sin payment that needs to be met. Jesus has paid that for you. You commit the unpardonable sin. You commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. When you die in a state of unbelief, that wrath of God comes down upon you. You will now have a judgment day set before the Lord 
where you will have to give an account and you will not have anything to rely on except your own works. And it will be a very sad day. But ultimately, every single person that is in torment now is there because they did not believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. So to answer the first part, if a person rejects the gospel enough times, do they become guilty of committing the unpardonable sin? The answer is no. You commit the unpardonable sin when you die. You enter into that state of being lost forever. So the next thing is, can you reject the gospel enough that you are now considered what's called a reprobate? You're unsavable, even if you wanted to. And the proof text that they use is Romans chapter 1, verses 27 through, or excuse me, 26 through 32. Let's go there. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. I enjoy these types of studies because I like that the scripture is clear. Listen, I like when things are easily understood. Unfortunately, the way that I'm wired, I try to find the most difficult way to do things. But when there is a clear set of instructions to follow, I love that. And I trust those instructions to get me from where I am now to where I want to be. The Bible is very clear on these issues, issues that people and philosophers and scholars spend years trying to answer the question of. It's, it's in the Scripture. But you know what the world has learned to do with the Word of God? Discredit it. They have, in their mind, pulled it apart, found all the contradictions, they see that it's on faulty ground, and they throw it away. When the Bible is right about things that we still haven't figured out today, you go research the dig that is happening in Israel. They are finding things that up until last year, they did not believe, but the Bible clearly taught. It's amazing stuff. Look up the, the city of Lachish, Sennacherib, who you know, people knew was a, a real person. He's in the Bible, but they thought that city of Lachish discredited Sennacherib in the Bible because it didn't exist. Well, they found the entire room with four walls with murals painted on them about the siege at Lachish, exactly as it is described in the Bible. Well, what do you know? <laughs> I mean, the Bible is our proof text, and we can't just write it off because, well, science. Remember, Paul warns Timothy of science falsely so-called. We've got to be careful of that. Anyway, so now we're going to look at the reprobate. And what I'd like to propose to you that the Scripture teaches is the reprobate is a self-hardened individual. God does not make them that way. They, through their own choices, self-harden themselves. Look what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto what? Eternal damnation? Condemnation? Vile affections, look what it says, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is natural, and likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they know there's a God, they know these things, but because of their sin, and specifically the sin of turning men and women's natural working uh, with one another and turning it to the same sex, it is very hard for them to pull themselves out of that. 
And, and we can see that. You study what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're knocking on the door. We want to know the men in your house. We want to know your daughters. Or, or excuse me, we want to know the men in the house. And what did Lot do? He was going to offer up his own daughters. They said, we don't want the women. We want the men. They burned in that desire. That does not mean that God waits until they get to a certain amount of sin that they've committed and then cuts them off and says, now you're a reprobate and you can never be saved even if you change your mind, even if you were to biblically repent and believe on Jesus, you've committed too many sins. That's not biblical. There's a very famous guy on YouTube who is against the idea that anyone can be saved. He proclaims boldly that if you have committed the sin of homosexuality, you are disqualified from eternal life. That is not true. That would mean that Jesus said on the cross, I paid for every sin except for that and all these other ones that come as a part of it. That's not what it teaches. A reprobate is a person who has, by their own decisions, hardened themselves from the truth. It doesn't mean that they cannot trust Christ. It means they are very unlikely, because of their sin and what that sin does to them, they are very unlikely to believe on Jesus Christ. God still is waiting. He is patient as that wrath abides on them, but there's never a point where while they're living, he says, you know what? The offering of my son will never apply to you. He could do that if he wanted to, but it's God's grace that he hasn't. Isn't that a good thing to hear? That there's not a sin that you could commit that would disqualify you? This is why when I pull out a track or when I'm in a conversation with somebody and it's scary, look, not all conversations are fun. You ever try to witness someone that doesn't want to be witnessed to or share the gospel with someone and they're very hostile back toward you? There's nothing that, this gives me peace. There's nothing that person can say or do against me that would nullify them from the grace of God. And so I know my job is to continue to love that person to the point where I can get through. And I've had some crazy stories of people cussing me out and getting their finger in my face, and I have just decided I need to love them as God loves them, and eventually you get diffused. Now, I could have walked away, but the conversation gets diffused, and most of the time they're very receptive. But there's nothing a person can do that could nullify them from the grace that has been displayed in Jesus Christ. Let's continue on here in verse 29, or 28. Um, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, we're in Romans 1.28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. They are shame. The actions are shameful, and God has said, I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to give you over to it. This is why sin is extremely dangerous. In Proverbs 1, it talks about a bird that is, is you know, uh, flying around and a trap is set without it knowing. It's silent, they can't see it, but the next thing they know, it's over. Sin is extremely dangerous. Being filled with all, and look at this description, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Now, hang on a second. If this passage is only talking about homosexuality, why in the world would it include disobedience to parents? This is not just talking about homosexuality. This is talking about any kind of sin. You can fall into a, a state of being not uh, unsavable. What's the word I'm looking for? Hardened. 
You are calloused. That's the word I'm looking for. You can callous yourself to the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's, it's a dangerous place to be. A lot of teenagers, they go crazy and they get to the point where they, they, it's horrible, very sad things. They get addicted to drugs. They get addicted to a certain kind of lifestyle, whatever it is, and it's very hard for them to pull themselves out of it and they become enslaved to it. But that list is all-encompassing. You can find yourself in that list. Look what it says in verse 31. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, they keep doing it, they know what they should do, they still do wrong, and but have pleasure in them that do them. They get together. They're together. They celebrate with one another. We can see that in today's culture. People that like to do wrong, they tend to stay together with one another because they encourage each other. Because you know what happens when you're with people that do wrong? You never have a moment to think about what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> you're just with everybody that thinks it's right. Here's another point I want you to, to, to see here about the reprobate person. God gave these individuals up to their own sin, not an elimination from being saved. We won't go there, but in Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrated his love in that while we were, what? Yet sinners. So if you're saying you got to change to be able to be saved, you got to get right and then you're savable, that verse shouldn't be in the Bible. Because it's talking about while we were yet sinners. And then a whole bunch of questions come up. How much do you have to change? When do you know you've changed to the point of you're almost there or you have arrived? That's a bad place to be. Think about the Corinthian believers who were once like these things listed here, but the Bible says they were washed, justified, sanctified. I do want to look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verses 9 and 10 and 11. Page 1216. Here we go in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. They were living before in a reprobate lifestyle. But they got saved. Why? Because the goodness of God's grace reaches through all of that. But it is a dangerous place to be in the state of a reprobate mind because your chances of trusting Christ diminish because of your sin. It'll never get down to zero until the day you die. But you can deceive yourself and deceive yourself and deceive yourself, and you won't be able to be impacted by what the Holy Spirit is doing. And we'll look at that in a second, the three things the Holy Spirit is doing on every person in the world. But look what it says in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you are and this is their position. They are positionally washed. They are positionally sanctified. <laughs> this is so exciting, isn't it? But ye are justified in the name of who? The Lord Jesus and by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of our God. You believe in Jesus Christ. You are justified in his name. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're in the family of God forever. And that's all it takes. And our listener today who wrote in this question is afraid that she has done too many things that she is now excluded 
from being saved. And I want to speak directly to her if she's listening. If you are alive and able to make a decision, you are able to be saved. There is nothing that can stop God from being able to save you if you believe on his son. That's all you have to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be passed from death and you'll be passed into life. But I would urge not to delay. I would not wait much longer because we just don't know. I have no idea how long we have left. I don't see why we should wait. want to look at one other thing here. Look in John 16, verses 8 through 11. We're going to talk about how the reprobate can harden themselves against the Holy Spirit's work in the world. I think it's interesting when you study the tribulation period that the Holy Spirit is going to be removed. Okay, I still think that every believer in the tribulation, when they are saved, they will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I don't see where that's going to end. But I do think that in the world, the Holy Spirit's job that is happening right now will be removed. And that's why you're going to see chaos and wickedness and just, it will be the worst period of time that man has ever seen. And that's from the words of Jesus Christ himself. Look what it says in verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8 of John 16. Verse 8. And when he is come, talking about the Holy Spirit, we can see that in verse 7, he will reprove the world of sin, three things, reprove of sin, which is to convict the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Those three things. Verse 9, of sin, why? Because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, why? Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Number, verse 11, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And I wrote down three things here that we need to understand. The first thing is the conviction of sin requiring a payment, Jesus has completed. Look back there in verse 9. Of sin because they believe not on me. How is a person going to be convicted of that sin, of the unpardonable sin, of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? By not believing on Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says here, because they believe not on me. Look at the second point. He convicts of the required righteousness which Jesus has and freely gives to all who believe. Hold your place here and go to 2 Corinthians 5. I know we are bouncing around, but this, these, are, these are good verses to have as a defense for this, this great question. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 21. You know the verse. It's probably memorized if you have your Bible that you bring all the time, and it's probably got some markings on it. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the, the very thing that the Holy Spirit says you need, Jesus has given to us, the righteousness of who? Not man, God in who? Jesus. In Him. Now the last part, go back to, if you held your place there in John 16, go back to verse 11, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now you can let John 16 go, and we'll go to the second to the last passage we will see tonight, which is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, in verses 1 through 2. 
the Holy Spirit convicts of coming judgment of which Jesus has become the sinner's substitute. Look what it says in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 in verses 1 and 2. This is a book written to believers on Sunday. I plead with you to be here because we're going to talk about God's love. We talked about God's love this past Sunday in relation to the world, how man cannot show agape love. Well, we're going to learn on Sunday in part two, the last uh, message, how believers can demonstrate God's love to one another, how we're commanded to do that. It's against our nature, but because of the Spirit, we can do it. This book, 1 John, is written to believers. It's written that your joy may be full. And look what it says in, in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you sin while you're still saved, you have somebody who goes before you, who stands in defense of you. And it's his blood that has saved us. But look at verse 2. And he is the propitiation, that is the substitutionary sacrifice. I know that sounds like a lot, but if you break it down, it's, it's understood. Substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus took our place. He was our substitute. He was the sacrifice for what the judgment would have found us guilty of, sin that separates us from God. The Holy Spirit works in those three areas of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The reprobate continues to sin, gets around people who does the same, and hardens themselves from that influence of the Holy Spirit. It, it is, you can see that. That is something you can see in people and in our culture today. The sin is just rampant. It is rampant all the time. It's shocking to me. It really is shocking to me that we have our nation has now agreed to fund abortions outside of our country. That is appalling to me. It's shocking to me. But you know what also it says? This nation, it's going the wrong direction. And the more we get around people that say the things that we want to hear and, and all, all these different things, we'll just go further and further and further away from God. I, I have no excuse for that except one thing, sin. That's what it is. But you can deceive yourself and think, well, I'm not that bad. Well, you might not be that bad, but in the eyes of God, you're bad. <laughs> You've missed the mark. So the last thing I want to look at is Hebrews 6. Our listener, she wrote about the reprobate. She said, I don't want to be like a person in Hebrews 6 who once they have tasted, and she was using the word tasted incorrectly, but she was saying once they have tasted, they're unable to get saved. And what she meant by that is once they hear the gospel enough times, it's impossible for them to be renewed. The Bible doesn't teach that. And this is the last thing we're going to cover um, before we, we end tonight. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. I believe this means a person who was once enlightened by the Holy Spirit. They came to the truth. They received it and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Pause there for just a second. Go a couple pages over to chapter 2 of Hebrews, and look in verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, look in verse 9. 
That same word, tasted, if you look it up in a Schofield, excuse me, in a Strong's Dictionary, you will see the word in Hebrews 2.9 for tasted is the same for the word in Hebrews 6.4 for tasted. Here's what it says about Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste. Now look, when Jesus died on the cross, he was not presented with the opportunity to die and rejected it. He was not presented with the opportunity to die and said he would do it another way or back out. He what? Experienced it. He partook in that death for you and for me. He should taste death for every man. So now go back to Hebrews 6, 4. The word is the same. So what I believe is important to recognize here is it's impossible. Look in Hebrews 6, 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift? Jesus Christ. It is impossible for a person who has believed on Jesus Christ, look what it says, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Are you a partaker of the Holy Ghost? If you have believed, you have received the Holy Ghost. And even if you could go to hell, guess who would be there with you? I mean, this is insane. The Holy Spirit would be there with you. Spoiler alert. That won't happen. Look what it says as it continues. And have again tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away into apostasy. If they continue, if they go back, think of the worst thing they could do if they do that. If they reject Jesus' name, if they burn a Bible, if they do some horrible act and continue in that way, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I do, not mean, I do not believe this means that they have done so wickedly that now it's impossible for them to get saved again. Quite the contrary. I think it says it's impossible for them to be put back into a position where they have to biblically repent again. What do I mean by that? It's impossible for someone who has trusted in Jesus Christ to be positionally removed in the eyes of God and put back into a place where they have to change their mind again about Jesus and get saved all over again. The Bible does not teach that a person can lose their salvation, even if they're a reprobate, even if they do the most heinous and horrible crimes. That is the goodness of God's grace. It is all-encompassing. It is final. It is complete. We're saved in three tenses. We're saved from the penalty of sin. One day when we pass away, we will be saved from the presence of sin as our sin nature disappears because we're dead and now alive with Christ. And the battle we fight now is the power of sin, but we have the ability to be lifted from that as we walk in the Spirit. It is not a trial. God does not give us salvation temporarily to see if we can really cut it. He is a good and loving God. He has finished salvation completely. This is so important to recognize because this is all that you and I have to build off of. It is impossible once you have trusted in Jesus Christ to be put back into a state where you have to believe again. Let me ask you a question. If that was true, how do you know you aren't back in a state where you need to be saved? We just talked about people that through their actions can mislead themselves and deceive. They can feel good about what they're doing, but they're doing wrong. Can you feel good about yourself and you're really sitting here in this church? You think you were saved 20 years ago, but you actually did something 
along the way that disqualified you? Can, the fear that that would produce. This is why Paul says to the believers in 1 Corinthians, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. Quit acting like the world. You're not of the world anymore. And this is why he says of the young man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, this is why he says, it's better for him to no longer be on this earth so that his spirit can be saved. What does that mean? As he grieves the spirit in his action here, it's better that he is separated from that sin and present with the Lord. So can a person reject the gospel enough that they are disqualified from ever being saved and be placed in a state of being a reprobate? The answer confidently is no. There is danger in sin, but there is not... There is, there is no one on this planet that is still alive and able to believe that is disqualified from salvation. Now, I want to, the good news is I've been able to talk with this young lady through Facebook Messenger. And we talked about a lot of different things. And for her privacy, I'm not going to share her name or anything like that. But she had some very good questions that followed up. You know, what's the difference between knowing and believing? It's a very simple thing. You can know something is true. Believing it is how you apply it. I mean, let, let's just say for an example that I have the keys to a car and I, wanna, I, I have presented those keys to you. You look in the car, you get in the car, you survey it, you, but you never take the keys. You never receive it. That doesn't change the fact that you know the car is for you. What is different is you have not believed it. You have not received that free gift. John 1.12, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Believe, trust, receive, they're, they're all synonymous. What have you done, you, an individual, what have you done about Jesus Christ and his payment for your sin? It is that simple. But you know what the mind does? It complicates it. We think, have I really believed? I know it, but I haven't really believed it. And people love to attach themselves to a feeling. I'm sure if I were to play a certain song that you're familiar with, it would bring up feelings. That's kind of a sweet thing. You think of a song, and you're like, oh, that brings me back to a certain time. How about when you smell something? It can bring you back to a very specific place in your life. Salvation has nothing to do with how you feel. It may cause you a feeling. It may not. What do we base our salvation off of? The testament of God's word. He that believeth, not condemned. He that believeth not, Wrath of God abideth upon you. And, and I talked to her for probably a, little, you know, a couple hours through Facebook Messenger. And I, we need to pray for her. Here's what I believe. She is under spiritual attack through her flesh and through the situation around her. The devil does not want her to believe. The devil wants her to die uncertain and slip into an eternity separated from God. If you follow me on Facebook, the other day I put out on Facebook, pray, I asked for all of those in Christ to pray for a young lady who was in Romania. That was this young lady. And I have all the confidence in the world that God hears our prayers and will do what is necessary to bring her to the point of, what are you going to do? God did that with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, through his decisions, hardened his heart. And God said, all right, if that's how you're going to be, I'm going to lift you up, 
And I'm going to put you into a position where I can then show my power through your fall. God created Pharaoh to be that way? No. Pharaoh made that decision. So please, pray for this young woman in Romania. And if she reaches out to me and says she has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, (laughs) there's no need to throw a party because the angels are already doing that up there. But I love me some pizza. So maybe we'll have a pizza party. (laughs) But aren't you glad that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm telling you guys, it is all we have. It is the greatest news in all the world. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As a thank you to our listeners, we want to give away a free Bible every month this year. To enter, send us an email with your Bible question. Our email address is questions at BibleLineMinistries.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show and check back each Thursday for new episodes. Until next time, keep looking up. Jesus is coming soon.